So thank you for joining me for this third conversation when we've been exploring issues of race, ethnicity, diversity, particularly within our church and against the backdrop of all that continues to go on in our world. I think it's really interesting when we had the first conversation, um, which uh, Ade and Simi, you were part of, it was following the horrific murder of George Floyd. And here we are now on the 4th of September, seeing further awful scenes of what's been going on in the States um, and knowing that things continue in this country in ways that we would not want to see. So we made two podcasts, the first which um, Ade and Simi, you were part of, um, and that involved, apart from me, that involved the other participants um, who are all black. And then I did a follow-up podcast with Margaret and Juliet and David, um, and we were an all-white conversation then. And you've both been able to hear the podcasts um, of each other. And this is an opportunity to bring together, sadly, not everyone who is involved in those first two podcasts, but Juliet and Margaret and Ade and Simi and myself. So um, I just wonder where we'd like to start in terms of what is going on across our, our world at the moment. Does anyone want to make um, a comment about where we are at the moment? Well, go on then. I'll, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the main thing I'm struck by is what you've just said, Bishop, which is that the cycle comes round remarkably quickly in terms of yet another thing to respond to and another, uh, you know, well, not unbelievable because it's it's clearly part of what happens, but the the further incident in the states with the shooting just does make one conscious of how that is the pattern of life and makes you think about well what are we looking at here and what will we be to, to be doing in our own country to resist that kind of response to uh, black communities I mean, Simi, you um, offered some really good and strong responses following the murder of George Floyd, and you reflected on um, this country as well. What you've gone back to school this week? What What are your immediate thoughts and comments as you speak with your friends? Well, I'm hoping come the end of the month leading into October, then the conversation will move towards Black History Month. Because at my school, it's something that's not currently celebrated or done anything about. So, yeah, that's mainly what I'm looking to. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. I find really shocking, really, really shocking that your school currently doesn't even celebrate Black History Month because one of the responses that I have to say I was most impressed with was, um, a local school that um, one of my boys was at where actually the head teacher was written to by some previous pupils um, 
and said that they, you know, and challenged her really as to how the school was addressing these these matters within education because they hadn't learned the history that they thought they should have learned. And um, and and for what I understand, the head teacher invited them in to come and help the school to think across the entire curriculum. Um, and to, to think in a really kind of whole system, whole community way, how they might address Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and that was going, I mean, you know, and that's going way beyond simply celebrating Black History Month, which mm. I, I, unless we are willing to take that whole system approach and not just sort of restrict this to a one month thing, uh, things aren't going to change, I don't mm. think. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Simi, with you saying that um, your school doesn't mark Black History Month, but almost a sense of uh, you saying you're looking forward to October. Does that mean that you're actually going to to challenge in school? Is that something you feel able to do? Um, <clears throat> well, there's been a petition going around my school, which has been signed by alumni and current students and some teachers to put forward a celebration for Black History Month. Mm and some black and ethnic minority students have come together and said, well, there's not much our school does to celebrate anything to do with diverse history, but we can sort of change that. So one of the first things that cropped up was celebrating Black History Month, seeing as it's one of the easiest things to do. Abe, what's going through your mind at the moment? Um, it's sad that this has to happen again. Um, Jacob Blake, Daniel Prude, they are names um, because they are black. Mm. Um, and um, even though it's all happening in America, you can sort of feel it in the UK, not the racist element, but the, the effect um, those killings um, add in the US you can sort of feel the pain so I was hoping that was going to be a long time after George Floyd before this happened um, it's happened again and it's going to happen again I'm not being pessimistic on a positive side um, from work so that made me to kind of it's good to see that companies are starting to see how they can make changes in the workplace especially my organization um black history month was a focus because just as simia said it was one of the easiest things to do and also changing of policies and processes to um, consciously include um, ethnicity in the selection process. It made me to look back into the history of the Blacks. And um, I found recently that Black children were used as bait for alligators in America at some point in the early 19th century. I never knew <laughs> that, that happened. So it made me to look into history, um, to look at the signs behind uh, colours <laughs> and how um, how come people are being referred to 
as black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I can see mm-hmm. that they are black and white, but it's just to say, what's the psychology behind thinking somebody that is black is not as good as somebody that is white? Mm-hmm. I don't want it to affect my perception. <laughs> Um, because I'm an adult, but it got me thinking. Were there any immediate reactions you had or response you had in listening to that? For example, Simi, you were very honest in the first podcast of saying that you were shocked that you hadn't heard issues of race and racial justice being spoke about in the church. And then I know that since then, uh, Juliet, you shared very honestly about how you've then been working at that within the church community. So, so Simeon, what what did you feel when you heard that podcast in our conversation? Juliet said something about position of authority, um, how she did not experience racism where she had accuracy even though she was part of the minority. And that got me thinking back to when I was in, when I was working in Nigeria, I had a white boss and he he, he was my boss. He was treated like a king. (laughs) Um, And on coming, getting to England, I was expecting to be treated in a similar manner. Um, It wasn't bad, but it got me thinking the realization of that. It was very strong for me because by virtue of the structure of the society, there's an assumed superiority. And I just felt, hmm, it takes God to think about that and see everybody irrespective of the color of their skin that we are holy cool and i think juliet was very very honest yes. on that podcast about how it had felt for her i mean can be difficult because it really does depend on how many black people go into the profession and how many black people are in your area but it's the conscious acknowledging and bringing up of black people to the front so that we're seeing and relating to people all the time. Yeah, Juliet was taking a good lead, um, or a very strong lead on this. And she was, one thing about, she's very honest in her approach to things and she's easy to talk to. So we, I could be equally honest. Um, and that kind of set a platform to have difficult conversations. Uh, and it's important everybody within the church adopts a similar yeah. approach. Yeah. Um, not walking on eggshells. Um, when I was listening to the podcast, I wrote that down, that there's a potential that we could move on to the other side and start walking on eggshells because we didn't want to offend one another. It's not going to work if we, if we do that. We need to open ourselves up, be vulnerable to one another, and correct any form of um, opinions that have been formed by virtue of our upbringing, by virtue of what we were exposed to in the society, by virtue of what the media feed us with. Mm. 
if we are not honest this will happen again in 100 years <laughs> yeah and i think that's really helpful i think that's what we've been trying to do with these podcasts and what we've been encouraging worshiping communities to do to be having these honest conversations you're absolutely right because in that last podcast we were talking about feeling we had the language to talk about it um being very honest and and margaret you made some very interesting comments about sort of the communities you'd lived in and actually your experience on general synod and where we might need to go from here and i guess that's a little bit that i'd just like us to reflect on for a few minutes is um, as people are listening to this, what, what is it we really want to encourage people to do? I, I think I'm hearing you say, Addy, having those honest conversations, not treading on eggshells, daring to make mistakes, but talking about things. Uh, and Margaret, is there anything that you've, you've reflected on further? I think I mentioned last time we talked that I was starting to read Ghost Ship, a book by a, a black cleric that is really tackling the issue of the institutional racism um, in the Church of England. And one of the things that struck me about that was I just hadn't realised how many stages, if you're thinking about the structure of the church and general synod, as you just mentioned it, how many stages of frustration and half responses to the attempts over the years to get proper recognition of the church's attitude and then to correct it both in theological colleges in the structure of the church i had no idea for example i'm not maybe i should have known but i didn't that at one point there was a proposal to bring into general synod 24 places was it for uh, black and other minority ethnic people to start to balance out this 600 strong group and that was thwarted. And then another thing came along and that was thwarted. And I, I think for all of us who've got any kind of voice in, in the um, decision-making bodies of the church at every level, one of the things maybe we have to do is to think, how do we get a better reflection in those bodies and persist and persist with it? Because it clearly has come and gone in really bad ways in the past. And has left people feeling angry and excluded repeatedly, which is a really bad place to be. What is it we can do? Because otherwise we all get really despondent. And what I loved where Simi started was that sense of getting that petition up in your school to do something. And that's challenging me to say, well, it's great that you're doing it, but linking what you've said and what Juliet said about a school, you know, we have 117 church schools. You know, are there things, I, I realise I don't know, actually, I don't know uh, what happens for Black History Month. And uh, apart from one of them, they're all primary schools. And we should be discussing, and perhaps we are, but I realise I don't know. And you've challenged me, Simi, to go and ask that question. Yeah, and I know that this year, Angela, our head teacher at St. James Junior School, is going to take Black History Month with a greater seriousness than she has for a very long time. We're, we're in a very privileged position here in Barton and Treadworth because we're very diverse and we, you know, it's such a gift to us that we really can 
simply open our ears and listen to one another. Um, I think it's probably much harder for people that live in parts of the diocese where you know they, they have to use a lot more imagination to see how they can move this forward. I was also really struck by something David said in reflecting uh, where he serves in the Forest of Dean about that sense of um, and I think I'm right in saying this, you know, some, some white people almost feeling, well, if, if it's like there's unlimited resources, if we give up, you know, what we have, then we're going to be impoverished rather than actually it's about us all being equal. And it's not about limited resources or limited rights. Um, and I wondered, Ade and Simi, when you listened to that, what, what you felt as you listened to that, because I think some of that was quite difficult. If you're black, you are naturally expressive. You are how that, and it can come across as um, intimidating. So it, it's, and I could understand why somebody feeling intimidated by that would want to work on the person that is being perceived as in, intimidating to feel lesser and maybe this is a stereotype on my part um, and british white very reserved <laughs> very reserved and you you think twice and you're wondering what can i say wrong or how can i say this without offending this person we worshipped at a particular church for 10 years and we didn't have leadership volunteering to come and visit us, possibly because they did not know how we would receive them. In a black community, as a member of a church, my pastor would want to know where I live. Juliet is not a challenge for you. And we do live with our stereotypes, don't we, of what we think. So, so actually, there's probably all sorts of things going through different people's minds hearing you say that. But actually, what's great is let's get this all out on the table. And it's, it's about our assumptions, our expectations as well. You know, so you're talking about expecting that someone would want to know where you live and would come and visit. Yeah. Um, but someone else might be thinking, oh, I don't want to impose exactly. myself. And actually, unless we have those honest discussions about our fears, our assumptions, um, being able to laugh as well as get angry, then we're not really going to change things, are we? No, we're not. So, and and is 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 um, trusting one another to that level to be able to say, um, "I'll just do it anyway." And if I get a no, that means I won't repeat it next time. You talked about change, but it's also not about how we just expect someone just to change to be like me. It's about how we're all willing to change. And I think that's what David was touching on a bit in his pressure, saying actually it was almost like one group of people felt that they might have to be the ones who completely had to change or someone else had to change. Actually, how do we all say, trust one another to say, well, we all need to go on being changed and transformed, but we have to have high levels of trust. What is it that we can do 
to increase that trust so that we can take further steps to change as individuals and as worshipping communities? What is it that builds that trust? Has it built trust having these conversations? Are there other things we can do? I mean, Juliet, what would, what would you say to, to building trust? It seems to me we have this extraordinary resource as Christian communities that when we do gather to worship in our various ways, we generally begin by making a confession and acknowledging who we are before God in honesty, in that trust that actually we're not expected to be perfect, um, but we are expected to come humbly before God and before one another and to acknowledge that we don't always get things right. So I suppose that for me is a resource that I think, you know, we, one of the things I've noticed listening to people, white people who have had to kind of really reflect on some of their own um, racist attitudes that they didn't even realise they had, um, but has become apparent to them over these last few months. Um, and I, you know, and I, I, I know that process for myself and it, you know, uh, you know, various points in time um, have had to face you know the reality of my own racist attitudes which are horrible and I think where did that come from um, but it's you know as, as I said before it's kind of it's that sea that we swim in but actually being able to um, acknowledge that we will get things wrong um, and we have this extraordinary faith that says that you know what that's okay because we will be forgiven and we will be made new and there will be this fresh opportunity and this fresh life and this fresh space that we can find so I suppose I would say that our dependence on Christ is where we will deepen our trust in one another this is really it's a really big difficult one that rears its ugly head in all sorts of different ways at different times um, mm. and a lot of the time we're not even aware of it. Someone mm. else want to say something about what what helps us build trust as we go forward because we've got to have trust if we're going to be able to challenge one another and go on changing. The church is a safe place I think. Should be. <laughs> Yes, it should be a safe place and um, it's important that just as is being done to lead from the front and change, I think it was Margaret that said we should change linguist, linguistics, the way we use words, our church, your church selection process i mentioned about selection process making conscious effort to i know it's difficult it's very challenging to get black people obviously you're choosing from the pool of people you've got within the community but what about collaborating with other bodies of christ not necessarily church of england to get that involvement see it members of the church irrespective of the denomination mm -hmm. as one church because we have we did something in december we we walked with um the small church is it predominantly black church and 
and that collaboration here and there that we work for both white and black as part of our work as CMAC, myself and Suki's work, one of our um, aim is to visit all the black churches within Gloucestershire to get them involved. Um, and so that when there's a need to select, we have a bigger pool to select from. Mm. And that's, that's really because when, um, probably about three years ago now, I got together um, the leaders black leaders of churches in Gloucester and actually was asking similar questions to how um, they perceived the Church of England and that was really shocking um, and we talked about how we might continue to do some work together and that should be really good to pick that up um, again. But Simi, um, as someone who's young, you had a lot of really good reflections on on the church and what you would like to see. Is there anything else you would like to add from the conversations we've had and what you've heard, particularly um, on this? Yeah, well, I think conversations like the one we're having now and celebrating our differences instead of putting people down for differences will really help build trust from one race to another, from multiple races to another. It will help people to understand each other in more depth and to acknowledge the differences. Yeah, they're there, but we can celebrate them and celebrate our differences and enjoy our diversity. Thank you for being part of these conversations. Um, do continue to challenge me. It's really important. Um, because we can all make assumptions and be blind. We talked last time about unconscious bias as well as conscious bias. Um, but to go on being committed in this diocese to, to making those changes where we can um, across all ages. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody. Thank you.